0: Hey Don. Hello Zach. Happy Easter to you. Oh, and happy Easter to you as well. We uh, we made it. It's amazing to think where we were a year ago uh, with COVID and people still trying to figure things out. And today was a beautiful day outside. That's for sure.
1: And we're all back to normal. People going to restaurants. No more concerns of getting sick. COVID has pretty much disappeared.
0: It's sort of interesting when you think how people have just sort of kind of moved on with COVID, I guess, or we've learned to live with it. Somebody was telling me there was a meme on the internet. Apparently these are pictures where people write things on them. I don't really look at them, but they had one of the characters from the TV show Lost with a burning plane screaming and everything. And then they said one year later, and they show the same character suntanning on the beach with a burning plane behind them. (laughs) It seemed funny to me. I did not see this meme, but apparently if it's out there, you should check it out. Yeah, we're just kind of rolling on. Well, hey, you sent me a very interesting article this week, and it was about private schools, sort of the world of private schools. The author was writing in The Atlantic, and they talked about kind of their experience as a teacher at a private school, but also what private schools are seeing right now during COVID and how their parents and student groups are sort of expecting and, and behaving towards it all. And here's the best paragraph I read. We have become a country with vanishingly few paths out of poverty or even out of the working class. We've allowed the majority of our public schools to founder, while expensive private schools play an outsized role in determining who gets to claim a coveted spot in the winner's circle. Many schools for the richest American kids have gates and security guards. The message is you are precious to us. Many schools for the poorest kids have metal detectors and police officers. The message is, you are a threat to us. And Don, this story just goes all over the place about the world of private schools, about the parents that are paying huge fees to send their children there, and at the same time, kind of what their fears are and the kind of pressures they put on these schools. And it also just sort of does a good job kind of comparing and contrasting some aspects of private school and public school. What did you think about the article?
1: It was a view into a different world in that you and I are familiar with public schools. We attended public schools and teach at public schools. But then these private schools, these hallowed halls where there is lots of tradition and more importantly, lots of money, children are getting a much different experience and parents have outside influence. And the overall effect is allowing these students a tremendous advantage when applying to colleges, which seems to me the measuring stick for all parenting in that uh, about 30% of the kids that go to Princeton come from these small elite private schools that are very expensive and that's their pathway.
0: I found this article, it was almost like reading about an alien civilization. It was so hard for me to relate to it. Obviously you and I are public school teachers. They described one of the schools, Dalton in particular, as a place that's $54,000 a year. That's what a private college charges. And a school like this has an archaeologist in residence. They have a teaching kitchen, a rooftop garden. As you were saying, 2% of American kids go to private schools across the nation, but... 24% 24% of kids of these schools go to Yale, or 29% of them are end up at Brown or Dartmouth. The headmaster at this school, Dalton, makes $700,000 a year. The endowment of this place is $1.3 billion. That's larger than a lot of colleges. It was pretty crazy. Only about 1,100, 1,200 students go there. Just kind of amazing to me.
1: Well, and the 55 grand doesn't count the capital drives, which seem to be never ending in these buildings, where some of the students there have parents that are wealthy and can afford the tuition, but not that much more. And then there's others whose parents are contributing an additional million dollars a year or more to the capital fund to build this or that. And that those parents have an even more outsized influence on the building and what happens.
0: It was just really interesting to kind of think about this world. They talked about how parents, usually kind of tend to voice their concerns with money. All of a sudden, maybe they're not writing the kind of checks that they normally used to when there's a fundraising drive going out. The parents, though, also seem to have issues. This is the other thing. as, As rich people have problems, just like poor people, they're just different kinds of problems. And as you mentioned just a little bit earlier, the biggest problem in these schools is a lot of parents seem stressed out about their kid getting into the elite Ivy League schools.
1: Yeah. And the part of the article that really spoke to me most was about Sidwell and Friends, which is where the Obama daughters went. And before that, Chelsea Clinton went and other presidential daughters and sons. And that the there was tremendous pressure from parents not to find what their child was sending off to colleges, but what the other children were. And leading, trying to sabotage the other kids, which led to a parent outrage. And three of the four counselors for the college planning portion of the school quitting because it's about sabotage and a crazy race to get into these top tier schools, which just blew me away. But at the same time, is not all that surprising based upon the other things we've talked about, especially the other Atlantic article that was talking about elite colleges and athletics.
0: Well, you and I know as just, I guess, middle class parents and people that are in society that Humans love to gossip no matter what your income level is. And humans are always curious about what somebody else is doing. And I'm sure parents are all the time wondering about what somebody else's kids are or are not doing, what kind of things they are getting or are not getting. So it seemed sort of interesting, but you're right. To take it to the degree that this article suggests is definitely another level. The other thing I found interesting as they were talking about that particular institution was. Nobody even knows how to get in. (laughs) It's not like you can just fill out an application. Like it just kind of says it's so elite that, you know, you have to know somebody that knows somebody to get in. I thought that was kind of interesting.
1: And makes you wonder who the rest of the class is, if it's not the Obama or the president's kids. Like it's 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 amazing.
0: I taught at a private school in Cairo, Egypt. I taught very wealthy families, students. It was a private school. The public school system in Egypt is unimaginable. You can't even compare it to the public school system that we have here in America and I had a really good experience there. I was working and teaching U.S. history and economics to kids whose parents were diplomats. They ran multinational corporations, and the parents always treated me with a ton of respect. They always treated me as if whatever I was telling them was exactly what they were going to hear, and they were then going to talk with their student. But they never badgered me or fought me over a grade or anything. And the thing that this article also tends to go on to talk about is just how all of a sudden in the more recent years, almost like the litigation that has happened with parents and fighting for their kids' grades. I found that also very fascinating.
1: What also matches with the race to these top tier colleges and that every A minus is one that'll keep you out of Stanford or Yale, and the parents are putting influence and actually have influence in these private schools to make these grade changes. And I'm sure you've heard stories at high schools of parents that have put a lot of pressure on students. It seems to be the rare happening at a public high school, but very common at these private schools. And perhaps it's just of a higher echelon of income, where these goals and these colleges that the kids go to matter more to them.
0: Although I wondered if it was a rare thing, because I'm sure you have had to sit with a parent before as they want to discuss their child's grade. Or sometimes, I mean, the meetings can get downright nasty as you're trying to explain, here's the rubric, this is what your kid did, and they just won't accept it. And they just will keep coming after you until something changes. And therefore, I kind of was almost reading those sections in this magazine article where here is a very rich and entitled mom fighting over the A-minus that her kid got in the poem, thinking that it's an A. And I thought, I've been there many times, and I'm sure it won't be the last time that I haven't been there.
1: I guess that's really surprising to me because I haven't really been there. I've had parents that are unhappy about their student's grade, but I haven't really ever had a parent detail and get in my face and get argumentative about their grade. I've just explained like, well, this is what they performed on the assessments. They can retake the assessments. They performed about the same. And this is their grade on the homeworks. And this is when homework is collected. I don't really haven't had that situation. I Certainly they're mad, but doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to change it.
0: And another part that kind of comes up is just about how administration kind of handles it. The author kind of says, you know, in the old days, the teacher's job was to deal with the students and administration was to deal with the parents and kind of keep them away from the teachers. And how that world has kind of shifted now to just something where... Teachers are just kind of left out there to hang and to kind of deal with parents in whatever they see fit. In fact, they said that administration now will advise teachers on maybe how to handle a situation.
1: Well, I can see that. Also, there's a different era of parent empowerment. There's also a different era of sensitivity. There was a student not long ago that got special accommodations, late drops, because the parents said, well, this child has mental illness or depression or anxiety, and therefore these things need to happen. And admin says, yes, they have to happen. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I guess they're happening. And it put away all the other rules and procedures. But it wasn't necessarily give this kid an A. It was just this kid can drop the class despite the fact that nobody's dropping classes now, or this kid gets to do this thing late because of this. So like, okay, that's fine with me. I'm not gonna fight that battle.
0: It kind of almost amazes me that they don't just give every kid an A at these schools. <laughs> I mean, I've thought about this sometimes and I'm sure you have too. I'm sure you've had, maybe not parents then, but I'm sure you've had students who, Mr. McLaughlin, what can I do to get my grade up? What can I do, right? Or I, I, my grade, it needs to get higher. And there's just a certain behavior that some students will just keep badgering and badgering to get their grade higher. And as you've said, well, I need you to perform on the test, but the student wants to do an extra credit or they want to bring you a Kleenex box and get extra points for that, right? It made me to sort of wonder, why wouldn't they just, just say, hey, Whatever grade you want, why don't you just write it in here, and maybe that will make you feel better. Ultimately, like I'm the teacher, I'm still going to get paid, and everything can be easier. And yet, in this article, it was just sort of interesting as we sort of watched this teacher kind of dig in over the A minus that he believed the kid had gotten, whereas the mom wanted an A, and that to me just seemed like oh, like the hardest sort of meeting to have to sit through and keep finding a solution to something that clearly two people are going to walk out of that room still not happy.
1: Well, you wonder if you have to give that or what would the administration say at a school like that if everybody got A's, especially since the students are in competitions with each other. I'm sure the parents would want other kids to get A minuses or B's, just not their kid. And they have to show that so that their student has more merit. So they got to give some kids B's, I guess. I I just don't know.
0: That's a great point. You're right. I want my kid to have the highest grades, but I do need some people down here to keep them a little bit lower so that I look better. Because you're right, there's an inflation of everybody just has an A.
1: Well, then the classes don't matter as much. And so just like now in our public schools, or I'd imagine any school right now, if you get all A's in general education classes, you have no shot to get into the top tier colleges. And so you have to take AP classes and then get A's. In these schools, the, one of the interesting things in the article that i really noticed was that they offer some level of calc that people take as a juniors in college. I think it was linear calc or something. And so therefore, it's an even higher bar to then get an A in that. So you look even better compared to the other students. So ever more rigorous classes and the need to get an A in those ever more rigorous classes leads this competition. And this is something that I'm thinking about Now, as I have next year, a freshman in high school in my house, and what classes does he want to take? Largely, we're leaving that decision to him. But at some point, he has to make a decision about whether he wants to take these rigorous AP classes. And if he gets A's, we'll put him in the category to get into Michigan or Michigan State or some other similar school.
0: And I think you make a really good point about... What they talked about in terms of the curriculum at some of these schools, they sort of cited a book or a memoir or a series of blog articles that a student who went to, I believe, Harvard or Yale had written. He was a public school kid, but he was just sort of talking about what his experience was like in these Ivies, where most of the kids had a very different experience than him. And he realized that going into these Ivy League classes he was already behind because a lot of these kids had already studied a lot of complex math. Some of them had had organic chemistry because they had organic chemistry labs in some of these schools. Whereas I'm sure he was not getting that sort of experience at public school. And therefore you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the case against education book where the author sort of makes a point of like, maybe we're teaching too much math at school and maybe we're making way too many requirements of kids. And yet you listen to this and it made me think, are we possibly wrong? Is it possible that we're not offering enough rigorous stuff in public schools?
1: And a lot of this makes no sense because you don't need to do organic chemistry when you're 17. My friend's a surgeon. He took it as a junior at Michigan and he's doing quite well with it, but it just gives them a leg up on the competition, which leads you back to the case against education because it's not about learning something. It's just about proving a point. Now, That said, there's another book Malcolm Gladwell wrote, David and Goliath, where he talked about the small school or the less prestigious school is better in that if you go to Harvard and do hard sciences, the bottom third of the hard science department drops out of hard science. They don't wanna be there anymore. Whereas if that bottom third had gone to Illinois State, they would have thrived. They would have been the smartest kids in the lab. And the reason is because regardless of where you go, the top few kids get the best lab assignments, work with the best professors, get the most attention. And if you're at Harvard, it's a pretty elite group. And so you're probably not going to be in that top group. Whereas if you're at Illinois State, you will get better assignments. And Gladwell makes a good argument in that book that it doesn't matter where you go
0: to college, just go somewhere where you're going to be engaged and do well. Go where you can be successful, right? Sometimes... I'll see athletes who get an opportunity to go play high-level D1 sports, and then maybe they don't get a chance to play very much when they're there because there's obviously even better talent than them that are already there. And then you think, well, man, maybe they should have just gone to a D1, but just a tiered-down kind of school because they probably could have played a lot. That kind of makes sense. Go where you're going to be successful. Go where you're going to be able to get that degree in four years. We know that graduation rates are never that high. Maybe some people just aim too high in some ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if they are not doing a place where they can succeed or they're going to thrive, it's not best for them. Really, maybe it's better off to go to a more fitting school and get more time to be playing, to be engaged. And that's really democratized college sports a lot because it used to be all the best athletes went to a few schools. Well, now they're a little more spread out because it used to be only a few schools were on TV every weekend. Now, so many are. And so you get much better athletes at Florida International or Florida Atlantic or Florida Gulf Coast. And they don't all go in line to wait at Miami or at Florida or wherever. And so that is somewhat the case. But the true, true elite, the top tier still end up, we're talking
0: about college football at this point, I guess, at Alabama and Ohio State. Well, here's a question then. We've now talked about an article where parents were trying to get their kids scholarships to the Ivies by taking up strange sports like squash and stuff like that. We've now read this article here where we're seeing parents in private high schools trying to do whatever they can to get their kid into the Ivy Leagues academically that way. I guess my question is, is I'd like to read the story about what happens to these kids if they can even get into these schools. If you are, as you were just saying, if you are smart or if you are highly intelligent or you're just a hard worker, academically, you'll probably figure out, you'll probably rise to the top or you won't, right? Well, what happens to all those kids that don't rise to the top? Can you fail Harvard? Or is it one of those like gentlemen C's kind of thing where everybody's gonna kind of graduate here because we don't wanna make it look like not everybody's intelligent. But as you were just saying, like if everybody's got an A, then that doesn't look good. So you need some people to be failing or, or going down. And I guess it just makes me wonder what life is like in those IVs for some of these kids that maybe just academically shouldn't be there.
1: Going back to the Gladwell book, the name of the chapter is If I'd gone to the University of Maryland, I'd still be in science. And now I'm remembering the details is the idea that the kids just won't stay in science if they can't be a top tier student. So they go down to LSNA or wherever. And not that that's bad, but it doesn't put them on the course for what they want to do, which is top-tier science, maybe to be a professor, maybe to do all those things. And to get into grad school, you have to have A's or at least B's, otherwise you're not going to get into one of the best grad schools. If you get to the best grad schools, that puts you straight on a path to private equity funding, doing your own company, all those things. And that's really the path that people seem to want to be on. Although I know a couple people that did that path, and it's not quite as fulfilling as
0: one might hope. Part of this article just weaves the idea of parent stress and the idea that the parents themselves are agonizing over their kids' experience at these schools, not because they're necessarily having a bad like experience there, but just over the results that are coming. And I just kind of want to read you another quote here from the article. It just said, by the time their kids get to the upper grades, parents want teachers, coaches, and counselors entirely focused on helping them create a transcript that Harvard can't resist. This kind of parent has an idea of the outcome they want in their work life. They can get it. They're surrounded by employees. They can delegate things to their staff. In their eyes, teachers are staff, but the teachers don't work for them. Why do these parents need so much reassurance? They are finding that it's harder and harder to get their child through the eye of the needle, admitted into the best programs, all the way from kindergarten to college. But it's more than that. The parents have a sense that their kids will be emerging into a bleaker landscape than they did. The brutal winner-take-all economy won't come for them. They've been grandfathered in, but their fear that it's coming for their children and that even a good education might not secure them a professional class career. And Don, I think that's really interesting. We talked just a couple of weeks ago with our wives about the overparenting generation, right? And how maybe deep down, we're all worried economically for our kids in the future. Maybe they're not going to do as well as you or I. And therefore we overparent, parent try to compensate, to try to maybe have a way that our kid will still rise above it seems like the rich are possibly also having these fears.
1: Absolutely. And it's outlined in the book, The Meritocracy Trap, where parents are trying so hard to get their kids to the top level. And the kids are working their fingers to the bone, trying to do organic chemistry and linear calculus when they're in high school. And then they get to this elite college and they work super hard to get through that. And then they get at the top tier law firm or wherever, and they work really hard there. And the work never ends because then they have kids and they have to start working on this progress to get them up. It's just a never-ending cycle of toil. And I'm not sure what the result is. It doesn't seem like it's joy, it's happiness. It seems like it's about status, and status is the only
0: priority. That's what I wondered. I wrote down just, do you think these students are possibly more stressed out than than other public school students. And I realize that it's hard to just lump them all into the same grouping, but it did seem like a lot of these kids were, were working hard. At the same time, their parents seem to be working even harder. They talked about in the article how they're going to doctors and demanding that they are, you know, give their kids um, drugs to keep them awake or drugs to help them fall asleep. They're getting doctor's notes about why their kid needs an untimed SAT or ACT test. And at the same time, it's not like it just seemed like these kids were just sitting around playing video games in their room. It seemed like there was a lot of work going on.
1: There's certainly a lot of work in order to get to that level. You know, Gladwell, once again, coming back to Gladwell, talks about the 10,000 hours, and these kids are putting it in. Now, I think for some of them, this is a student-driven, personal-driven, they want to do it. I had an incredibly impressive student a couple of years ago, and I asked him, I said, hey, what? where Where did it come from? Like, you were always are super prepared. You're working ahead. You have things down. Is this always been the case? He said, "Yeah." He's like, "It's not about my parents. They don't really care. I just like reading the book. I'm just a curious guy. I like getting ahead. I get into subjects. I want to read about them. Want to learn about them. That's it's just it's fun for me." I said, "That's fantastic." But there, for every one of those, there's a hundred kids that look pretty stressed and pretty anxious about how their grade is, where their progress is, how they rank compared to other people. It doesn't seem joyful. Doesn't seem exciting.
0: No. It seems hard. It seems like it'd be really difficult when you come home and you show your parents an A minus, and that's just not acceptable, right? And you know, some people will say, "Oh, hey, you know, if 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 we knew that that was our kid's best, and we'd accept it, and we'd love them, and everything like that, but we know that they can do better than an A minus." And it's like, well, really, like that's 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 a pretty good grade, and you see that all the time. And you're right; that must be really stressful on kids. Who've got to try to live up to that. And as you were saying about that student who was interested, that is a tremendous story when a kid's got curiosity and wants to follow it and learn. It's got to be really tough, though, when you're a kid and you're not that interested in some of your subjects and stuff like that.
1: Well, those uh, the other students looked at this kid like they had the superpower. And I used to believe that these kids had the superpower, but more and more I learned. They're just driven. There's hardworking kids that have always worked hard and always been engaged. And they've just accumulated skills and knowledge by years and years of putting effort in. And it's impressive, but that's just who they are. It doesn't mean you have to compete with them or that's how you have to be. It's just a whole different ballgame.
0: The thing I wanted to ask you, though, about the elites again and their behavior, about this idea of a fear of their kids getting left behind. They got grandfathered in, but maybe it won't be for their kids. And one of the things I just sort of wrote down was, do you think the super wealthy and the elites of our society are seeing something that you and I are not? Obviously, we're not sitting in meetings with high-powered people. We're not running high-powered companies, but to have this sort of fear about your kid's future when you're already wealthy what is that do they see something that we don't do they have a sense that something's coming we've spent podcast topics talking about the end of america or the end of civilizations right or is this the best or the worst time to be alive i guess it just made me wonder what is their scene do you have any sense I have two ideas.
1: The first idea is that they see that there is a changing standard in our society for opportunities for people. And that especially for already established, powerful, wealthy white people, they see that their stranglehold on success and high management positions is slipping because there's more opportunities for other people. And I don't think they'd explicitly say that, hey, I'm really upset that there's people from other places that look different that have a lot of opportunities that are really going to compete with you son or daughter and it's going to be harder for you than it was for me because there's little competition when I was coming up and now there's a lot of people coming in or perhaps it's just simple as status I'm going to be competing in my mind with the people down the street or people in our school or the people that vacation property near us. Where are our kids going? Am I going to have to say Central Michigan? Because I really don't want to say Central Michigan. I want to say
0: Yale. So you would say it's not that they see the economy falling apart. It's just that the economy is getting more and more competitive and possibly people based upon merit are actually coming into positions rather than just who knows who. And yet, the the networking effect is still so powerful. And I guess maybe that's why there's such a desire to get into those Ivy League schools is that's where the networking begins. As long as you've got an Ivy League school next to your name, you're good to get into any major corporation or or business around around the world, right? Yeah, it
1: seems that that way. That said, we have a good friend who went to the University of Michigan for undergrad, the Ross School of Business, although it wasn't the Ross School then. Then she went to the best business school in the nation for MBA at the Kellogg School at Northwestern University. And now she is saying, well, her husband went to a state school and he does just as well as she did. And she said, I'm just saving for a state school for my kids. I don't think they need to go to the top tier schools, which was so important to her. And that she realizes there is more opportunity for people. And I I would agree. I think our population is shrinking and that there's going to be more and more opportunities. If you can make eye contact with a human, if you can engage people, if you can have some skills, it doesn't really matter. There's going to be a whole lot of kids in my mind that have Tremendous skills in academics, but less skills in the real world. And they may struggle when it comes to the greater work life. And I have tremendous confidence in my kids to be able to interact in other ways.
0: Well, that's what's so interesting is, I mean, in my social network of friends, which are relatively my same socioeconomic level and everything, Never once have any of us ever even mentioned the word Ivy Leagues for our children or it's an expectation. I don't even think my wife and I have ever even considered it. I mean, we'd like our kids to go to college someday, but it just, I guess maybe we're aiming too low or we just aren't even in the stratosphere to be thinking about that or feeling the pressure. And I, I agree with you. I've always told students when they get into college, or maybe they feel like they're going to a college that's not as ranked as well as one of their friends or something like that. I've said, look, like go to college, like get your ticket. You're going to all go to the same concert. And once you get to the concert, like there's no rules against sneaking up to the front. That's just about effort and work and, and desire and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. And we've heard it occasionally, and I kind of snicker at it. It's In my life, it's the same as the kids that say their kid's going to play Division One sports. Like, sure they are. Let's see how this all plays out. You know, it may happen, it may not. Same thing with the kids that whose parents say that they want their kids to go to Princeton. It might happen, it might not. And largely, you don't have a tremendous amount of control over it. It just happens to uh, see how the situation rolls out.
0: To me, though, the thing that I kind of felt sad reading this article about these students. And I was just thinking about, again, it's not like we don't have students that are under a lot of pressure to do well in public schools either. But the part about being so focused on the result at the end forgetting that like school's a 180 day you know a year process right it's a 12 13 year long process it's about you know showing up it's about having interesting projects or having teachers that care about you it's about making friends it's about learning and it just seems like we're kind of wanting to just sort of negate all of that or just sort of you know kind of just cancel all that out and it's just like like i want the result but you know i think the author has this great quote and they just wrote I thought of schools as places of actual transformation. You came in as one person and left as another. And it seems like nowadays everybody's so focused on the result at the end that nobody's wanting to think about the transformation. Do you think, what do you think about that? Well, help me walk through this analogy.
1: When we became parents, each individually with our own wives, not together, <laughs> was the sole goal to see the kid graduate high school or college. Is that all we're looking for? Is, what's what's driving our desire to be parents? And for me, I think the answer is the little things, the enjoyment of seeing their smile when they play with something, when they discover a frog, when they go out and play basketball with their friends, when they run around and chase each other and chase me and go doing things with me. That's the joy. It's the little things. And that's why I'm a parent. Well, I think the same thing of education. I'd like to think they'd enjoy going through the process. And maybe it's not the specific academics. I personally didn't enjoy the academics all that much, but I did enjoy the other things that came along the way, competing in sports, meeting friends, going places, doing things. And that's the part that I want that they should enjoy. And if they're just single-mindedly focused on achieving these great feats in these elite private schools, they're living in kind of a mystery of a world where they're not really experiencing that much. It's just driving, 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 and it doesn't seem that much fun at all.
0: Right. And and I guess that's the part that I guess kind of, I don't know, it didn't make me sad, but just sort of, it was something I thought a lot about of just, the part about growing up though, I mean, I, I love it when my kids are excited to go to school. I still have young kids and they love their teachers though. And I think about all of the activities and things that they've gone through. I think that there's another caring adult who's helping to kind of mold my kids into to being better human beings as they grow up, right? And that's part of that process. And yet it seems like when parents, especially at these schools, want to get in the way all the time and want to force an issue that they're kind of taking away opportunities for their kids to grow up, kids to learn, the kids to go and speak to their teachers, for their kids just to feel disappointment, right? You can only have the hero's journey if you actually had a journey. You actually had some struggle and you worked through it, right? And it just seems like nowadays, everybody just sort of wants to cancel out school and, and not see it as a place where a lot of things do happen over a decade of time.
1: Absolutely. And I like the uh, I like the idea of the hero's journey. and. Yeah, it's it's about the journey itself.
0: And therefore, you know, if people, I guess, reject the journey or if people want to always argue over grades or if they're just kind of not happy with what their school's doing or they don't feel like their school's, you know, working with their kid enough, what does that say about school then? Do you think we're not meeting people's needs of what we should be? We are, Should we be a more customer service-oriented institution? I guess in these private schools where they really are much more heavily needing to think about customer service, do they do they need to rethink how they're doing their curriculum or their grading? Or do you think, nah, this has just always happened and it just always will continue to happen? No, we're doing exactly what we're asked to do to sort the kids.
1: Uh, more so than ever before, I think our Biggest job is to get the students that really struggle through, that have other issues going on in their lives or just really struggle with school in general. There's a lot of pressure to get those kids through. But at the same time, we're sorting the top third or top two thirds. Where do they fit? What are their grades? Where do they go? And we're rewarding the kids that have the skills and the ability and the time and the support. And the other kids are being evaluated as such. And that's the role that society wants from us. They don't want us to give everybody A's. They want us to just give the kids that deserve the A's, the A's, and then allow the colleges to judge them and then place them in the colleges. I mean, it is what it is, right? That's what we're supposed to do.
0: You're right. It is currently what we're supposed to do. I guess. I just wonder, though, are we sure it's what we should be doing? Or I guess until we're told more differently, uh, we have to keep doing it.
1: And who's going to tell us? Ultimately, a school board is elected by the community to make decisions for the better of the community. And the superintendent serves at the pleasure of the school board. And the superintendent goes through the principles and outlines curriculum and how uh, grades are measured and what counts. Do we take late work or not late work? It all progresses down this, this step system. And we're determining where the kids fall based upon what the standards are that the community wants the community wanted everybody to get A's, I'm sure they could fight for it and the school board would fight for it, but that's, I don't think what the community wants. No, you might be
0: right. Just a couple final questions then. Again, they talked about Dalton a lot. There were other mentions of other very elite private schools, Exeter and Andover. And I guess my question is, if you, Don, had the opportunity to send your kids to one of these schools, uh, would you want them to have that, that opportunity or would you rather just keep them in their current public school?
1: Oh, wasn't expecting this question. Um, I think that I would not want my kids to go to boarding school just because I enjoy being around them and watching and talking to them day by day. Uh, if they had the opportunity to go to one of these schools locally, if they wanted it, I don't think at this point my kids really want to drive super hard and into the incredibly challenging because they want to compete at that level. If they do, I'd be 100% supportive of them. Maybe they will someday. But at this point, they do well. They enjoy going through the process, they're doing okay. And I have no argument. So I'm not sure I'd put them there unless they wanted it. I know that they had the opportunity, my older son had the opportunity to apply to International Academy, which is a public school funded by the county that is the best, the school that puts the most kids in the University of Michigan and other top tier schools. And I asked my son if he wanted to apply. And he said, No, I'm good. I just want to go to school with my friends, which I totally understand and support.
0: No, that would be it. I, I think I would. It would definitely be interesting if my kids had this sort of academic opportunity. I would just worry too about socially if they would fit in, um, you know, and and could they relate to their peers? I'm sure uh, that would be hard. But at the same time, I don't know. I I would assume kids are probably kids at, at a lot of levels as well.
1: Yeah. And
0: each kid will choose for themselves the pathway that they want to go. Well, final question then, I was thinking again about having an archeologist in residence and uh, a teaching kitchen a rooftop greenhouse. And while a lot of public schools don't have them, I was thinking about, you know, the school that we work for in a lot of schools this year have now given students laptops to, to learn remotely. And it looks like a lot of these programs are gonna continue on even after next year, just because we now have them and how public schools nowadays have all sorts of extracurricular activities from robotics, of course, to sports, to top-notch sort of drama programs and music programs, marching band, and also just the classes are really um, more diverse than ever before. You can take engineering classes and computer aided design classes classes, and you can even take your economics class and stuff like that. And I think you're doing a lot of innovative things in there. And therefore, the question I sort of wanted to ask is, education has probably never been better with more opportunities for young people across America. I realize some places maybe less so than others, but on a whole, I would argue it's probably more dynamic than ever before. Do you think we're wasting all of these opportunities on the young? When. (laughs) When they're not old enough to maybe fully appreciate it. I always think about how when I was like 26, I think I would have done better in college then, because I would have been more focused, I would have really maybe appreciated what was being talked about. Maybe I had some real world experience was like, Oh, God, I should have paid attention to that. And I was just thinking, maybe that's the problem. We just we waste education on the youth, we give them all these nice things. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think I've mentioned before, I have a friend that was a plumber for many years and then went back to college when he was in his late 30s and early 40s. And man, he learned a lot because he was focused on the learning, not on what I was doing, which was not focusing on the learning. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, yes, that would absolutely be right. However, what do we do with these kids otherwise? What do we do with kids that are 18? We can't put them into work at Amazon Most of them aren't ready for it. Don't we have to have some holding area where they spend a lot of money and make a lot of bad choices? Then we can call them adults and give them real jobs. We got to do something with them. I like mandatory military service. You on board with me?
0: I'm not opposed to that. I don't know if we could throw a 12-year-old into it. But you said mandatory holding tank where kids spend a lot of money and make bad choices. Isn't that what malls used to do?
1: <laughs> <laughs> malls and colleges. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I like it that they go to military or some sort of service thing. They should do that for two years. You don't have to do the military, but you got to do Peace Corps or something like that. Oh, uh, I'd hate to be the one supervising that.
0: It would be tough, but I, Hey, there's something about everybody's going to go get in shape. Everybody's going to, you know, learn a little bit more about personal sacrifice. I do I would assume maybe people might have a better thought process when it comes to thinking about issues of foreign policy and stuff like that. I'm not opposed to that. Or what about just send them to the mall? That's what we used to do. That's where I grew up.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the worship at the altar of consumerism, if they were at the mall, they'd just be on their phones anyway. So that won't really, that won't really do the trick. We need to send them to basic training.
0: Plus, a lot of those malls put the curfews in. Remember that in like the mid-90s? All of a sudden, you couldn't be at the mall without your parents after like five o'clock because of all the the mall rats, all these teens that wouldn't leave and were just causing problems. Mall rats, a favorite movie of mine
1: and Kevin Kopex. Um, yes, uh, that's true. They also got that buzzer sound that old people can't hear, but teenagers can just to irritate them and drive them away from the Starbucks.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, at least maybe we can, you know, yeah. Uh, Well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. I think we solved this one. Yeah, definitely.